sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. You know, Dan, week by week, Americans go to church and participate in in the life of whatever religion they belong to, and too often give very little thought to those working largely behind the scenes to protect the religious freedom that is their birthright as Americans. Today on Freedom's Ring, we get to join with my good friend and colleague, Greg Hamilton, to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the organization that he heads in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, and look back on uh, the wonderful work of preserving and advancing the cause of religious freedom in in that uh, part of the nation. Greg, always a pleasure to have you on Freedom's Ring. Thanks so much, Alan. Appreciate it. And uh, you've been serving for a good portion of that 25 years, haven't you? Yes, 18 years. Wow. Time flies, my friend. Time flies. Sure. So let's talk about some of the highlights as you look back on the work of, first of all, explain to our listeners just what is the Northwest Religious Liberty Association. Well, it's a nonpartisan government relations and workplace mediation, uh, anti-discrimination mediation services program which uh, champions religious freedom, civil rights, human rights for all people of faith and institutions of faith um, in the civic, legislative, judicial, academic, uh, interfaith, evangelical, and corporate arenas, uh, basically in the public sphere in the states of Alaska, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and Washington. That includes the state legislatures, that includes the county councils, that includes city councils, that includes uh, the state courts at all levels. Um, We're very active. We have a professional team of what we call capital pastors who cover each state capital in terms of legislation, not just watchdogging, but also proposing um, or getting um, sponsorship, legislative sponsorship for bills that we want to launch and pass. Uh, religious freedom bills, and so on. And you have to understand, our organization actually started in 1906. It was actually called the North Pacific Religious Liberty Association. And when the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists was formally organized to cover all five states in behalf of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the very first department, according to the Gleaner, uh, our monthly paper that has been in existence since 1906, The North Pacific Religious Liberty Association was actually the first entity or department or department of ministry that was actually organized, and it was largely due to the onslaught of uh, Sunday law threats throughout the United States, uh, both at the state and national levels. So it was interesting, and it had its influence was largely due to Alonzo T. Jones, who was a probably the titler head uh, and pioneer of our religious freedom work in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, dating back to the late 1880s. So in, in 1991, we endeavored to restore. It had fallen off the wagon. Much of the work had basically gone into disarray. And um, the legislative work at our capitals, our capital pastor teams, our government relations teams had pretty much become non-existent. And so 
Richard Finn, who was the Public Affairs and Religious Liberty Director for the North Pacific Union Conference in 1991 with his team, uh, rechartered, constitutionalized, and uh, reestablished its bylaws, and they called it the Religious Liberty Association of the Northwest. When I came on board in 1998, I renamed it the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, which was probably the closest to the original, which was the North Pacific Religious Liberty Association. Now, I know that's too much information, but I just thought I'd lay the groundwork on this. Well, it's it's wonderful to see the tradition, which has been part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church from its you know early days, of being aggressive in promoting religious freedom. I know when your friend and mine, Professor Alan Brownstein, uh, did a sabbatical in Australia a few years ago, he came back and reported that uh, Australia doesn't have the kind of Bill of Rights that, that we do here, but they have protection for free exercise of religion because of the work of a small group of Adventists way back in the uh, I think, 1890s. Yes. So, you know, Adventists have been very prominent in promoting religious freedom far beyond our numbers or our influence would suggest. That was largely due to Ellen White's efforts uh, in Australia. I, th- I think that's true. Um, so looking back on, you know, the years of, of your ministry, what are pick a highlight that you want to talk about. Well, our our first major uh, bill that we uh, initiated and got passed uh, was Idaho's State uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 2000, which was a huge endeavor and uh, led by then-Senator Grant Ibsen, who you have interviewed on your radio program. Yes, I have. Who's just a fine gentleman, uh, former Mormon um, president and missionary, and also former senator and distinguished chairman of two different committees there in Idaho for a a 10-year period until his retirement. And uh, we're going to be honoring him at our 25th anniversary gala banquet coming up on August 16th um, in Woodland, Washington at the Empress Estate, a French provincial mansion. So we're excited about having him come. But what that bill did was to restore the compelling interest in least restrictive means legal tests to free exercise jurisprudence so that when religious individuals and institutions' religious practices are challenged by the state, the burden of proof was returned to the shoulders of the state. And, of course, you and I know the history behind that. Maybe you could elaborate on Justice Scalia's opinion in 1990. And it's a very important uh, ruling that really just basically wiped out free exercise of religion in America as we knew it. It did. And if you listen to the popular media today, uh, you would could not be faulted for believing that religious freedom bills like this are somehow uh, bills that masquerade uh, to permit discrimination. But in fact, nothing could be further from the truth the Supreme Court was the one that trashed religious freedom and necessitated having literally dozens of states then come back and enact specific legislation to protect what we thought was a constitutional right. So congratulations for that accomplishment there in Idaho. Yeah, 
And more specifically, we can thank Justice Antonin Scalia for that mess up. I mean, you know, when people say, well, we should have somebody just like Justice Scalia to replace Justice Scalia on the Supreme Court, when presidential candidates say that, I say, are you nuts? <laughs> I mean, he was ultimately an enemy of religious freedom. Uh, I just, I don't understand people. They're just not well informed. Our our second biggest one, which is actually our biggest one, um, took us nearly 10 years to get passed. We actually started with a Oregon um, Religious Freedom Restoration Act effort, but quickly transitioned to an Oregon Workplace Religious Freedom Act effort, which um, we passed in 2009. And what it did was apply a fairer standard for religious minorities and all conscientious employees of faith seeking holy day and religious garb accommodations by restoring the language of significant expense and difficulty to the legal definition of employer undue hardship in Oregon Title VII civil rights law. I know that's a mouthful, and we can talk about it here, but sure. New York, California, and Oregon are the only states who have restored this original intent to anti-discrimination law. Actually, New Jersey also. Oh, so there's four states now. Wow, that's yeah. good. Yeah, there's four. But, uh, yeah, you know, this is the arena, friends. Um, I guarantee you, listeners, you know people who have had to choose between their faithfulness to their religion, faithfulness to God, and keeping a job. Because that is the unspoken, unreported, huge religious liberty issue in America today. People getting fired every business day, primarily because of the conflict between their religious beliefs and practices and their work. Well, the original intent uh, of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, when it came to workplace accommodations for, uh, on the basis of religion, uh, religious accommodation request, employers had to demonstrate that it was either a significant administrative difficulty or a significant expense to their business before they could say that it was an undue hardship and thus um, turn down or not grant the accommodation. Then in 1977, there was a case called, before the Supreme Court, called Transworld Airlines or TWA versus Hardison. And in that, the Supreme Court dumbed everything down. They basically said that employers, all they had to demonstrate was a uh, de minimis, which was basically a minimal cost to their business, and uh, administrative inconvenience. They could weigh that like a magic wand, that particular standard, and say work or else. And most of the states are still under that standard, except for now New Jersey, Oregon, California, and New York. And, you know, it would be nice if we could get all the states on board uh, in this regard. It's clearly an uphill battle, but we are the pioneers of getting this type of legislation passed, both you in California and me in Oregon. And I think it's very important to recognize that this this type of law, this type of legislative statute, um, applies to all people of faith. Yes, it helps religious minorities in the workplace much more than it does religious majorities, but Nevertheless, uh, let's say a Baptist, a Catholic, Methodist, whoever, Presbyterian, if they've got a sincerely held religious belief that they need accommodation for in the workplace, um, that law is there for them, too. So it doesn't just benefit a certain uh, group of people of faith over others, which was the original charge against our efforts when we launched this bill uh, by some very well-meaning religious freedom advocates, ironically both in Washington, D.C. and locally. And I had to fight those to get understanding and clarification. So it, w- it was difficult. 
Well, I know your your ministry as well as mine, we have represented people of many, many different religions and beliefs yes. using these very, very important laws. Our number one non-Adventist group, uh, when we represent, are Ukrainian and Russian Baptists up in Seattle and Portland, uh, the Slavic community in general. And it's been a privilege uh, serving them. And uh, about 11% of our caseload and mediation caseload uh, is with uh, that group. Very interesting. Well, we've had just all over the map, we have represented Mormons, Catholics, Jews, uh, one Muslim, I think, maybe two. We have Christians who are Sunday keepers and uh, Messianic believers. So all kinds of different workplace conflicts can arise. And it's certainly a blessing. So we're hearing the music and uh, uh, running out of time. What do you see as the number one challenge for the future, briefly, as you look ahead from the 25 years? Well, the number one challenge, I think, is a misinterpretation of religious freedom. Uh, This idea that somehow people of faith are entitled to everything and uh, therefore uh, not willing to give ground uh, in a way to certain civil rights claims, um, whether it be same-sex marriage or whatever. And that conflict between the two, the competition for rights, is is essentially what the courts are going to have to sort out in the future. And I'm, I'm not just hopeful, but I'm going to fight to make sure that religious rights that are guaranteed by the Constitution uh, are kept strong, uh, because we need to do that, and especially in regard to our religious institutions and their right to constitutional autonomy. Well, I appreciate your perspective. Our guest today, Greg Hamilton, president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, commemorating 25 years of religious liberty ministry in the Northwest of the U.S. Greg, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. As we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk, we offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.